Thank you for listening to this recording of Family Bible Church's Sunday morning message. We pray that God will use this word to bless and encourage you. We are in the book of 2 Corinthians in our studies. We have been considering then um, Paul's letter to the Corinthians in that overall the theme um, is dealing with embracing afflictions. Um, as we have gone through it as well, we saw in the very beginning the purpose of afflictions and that afflictions are an opportunity for us to experience God's encouragement, the encouragement of God, and subsequently to dispense that same encouragement to others who are experiencing afflictions. And so, as Paul has been going through this letter, we've seen a lot of other theologies that he's been discussing, but everything continually points back to afflictions, back to afflictions, back to afflictions. And as we've considered that then, um, afflictions, what we're going to see today, God uses as well, a second purpose kind of concept here, is to test our resolve and reveal a level of our commitment to Christ. So, as Paul has gone on, he has revealed um, some of his testimony of how he has dealt with the afflictions that have gone on in his life. And so, if you remember Jesus' teaching on the parable of the soils, um, I call it the parable of the soils, but generally it's referred to as the parable of the sower and the seed. But really, in my mind, it's a parable of the soils. The seed is the same, that it's scattered out, and the sower was the same. And so the idea is that the sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed his seed, the seed fell upon different, four different kinds of hearts, if you would. The first heart, the first soil, was the, the pathway, the hard heart. And when the seed was sown, what happened to it? Nothing. Yeah, the birds came and they ate it because nothing happened. It just kind of sat there and the birds saw it. They came and they plucked it. They ate it, right? The second type of soil was the rocky soil where the, the seed was sown and it kind of got put into the, uh, between the crags, if you would, into the, into the rocks. The, the birds didn't see it, if you would, right? So they didn't come pluck it up. And so the seed fell, found a spot there, and it quickly, we're told, what? Sprouted. A lot of debate on this parable, okay, and I don't want to get into the parable so much, but a lot of debate on the parable saying that that shows salvation because there was life. I disagree with that. I don't think it's the, I don't think it's the purpose of the parable. I just think it's showing that there was something happened. It looked like something happened, Right. But what happened was, so it, it, it quickly sprouted, but then the sun came, and it scorched it, and it what? Quickly perished. Just as quickly as it, it seemed that some, like something happened, just as quickly it was scorched um, by the trials and the tribulations that would come upon it. That's where we'll come back to that. The third, so- third soil was the, the thorny soil, where the, the, the seed went out, and it seemed again to to sprout and to grow, but as it began to grow, then the cares of the world, the temptations the, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the cares of the world crowded, grew up around it, and it crowded it out. The fourth soil was when the seed went out and it found good soil, prepared soil, and it fell into the soil, and it not only grew, but then it produced. It produced. Some 30-fold, some 60-fold, some 
a hundredfold. Okay? The point being is that even within the realm of the productive soil, there was what? Variation. Okay? Not, all, not everybody is going to be up here with the hundredfold stuff. Make sense? That there are some down here still producing what? Tenfold, thirtyfold. Okay? But the difference is that this, in this last soil is that they what? They produced fruit. Paul said in Galatians 5, this verse isn't on your note sheets, this is just coming to me right now, and so this is kind of free, right? So in Galatians 5, it says that we're not supposed to walk according to the flesh, but walk where? In the Spirit. And then it talks about then the, the, fle- the, the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another, so that you cannot do the things that you would. And then he says, for the works of the flesh are these, adultery, fornication, un- uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, and he goes on with this list of all the things that are works of the flesh. And so, and if you are exhibiting these things, then you're exhibiting someone who's living according to the flesh, but not according to the Spirit. And he says, but the, the fruit of the Spirit is love, the joy, the peace, the long-suffering, the kindness, the goodness, the gentleness, the faithfulness, the self-control. Right? And so, those who then are... And he says, and against us there is no law. But those then who are exhibiting these things clearly are being led by the, the Spirit. The, the point being then is that those who are in the Spirit will what? Be productive. And they will produce fruit of the Spirit. If you're walking according to the flesh, when people look at your life, what are they going to see? They're going to see things that are according to the flesh. And so... Paul stated this a little bit in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1. This was the first verse that David spoke on two weeks ago. And David, do you remember how that started off? Because you spent most of the time teaching on it, about grace. But how did he state it about that? That your grace would what? Not be in vain. In vain. That, that the proclaiming of the grace to you and your reception of it would not be... In vain. I, I struggle with this passage, not that passage, but a lot of these passages are like this, a lot. From the perspective of, there's the debate again on whether you can lose your salvation. And so when you get into this sower and the seed, the reality is that's really where the debate goes then, right? Because if somebody sprouted up, then they, and, and you say that they were a what? A believer, that that shows life, then that means that they what? They lost their salvation. And so this the battle then of whether then people can receive the grace of God in vain, meaning that they whether they can lose it. Now, there are many places in the Scriptures that tell me that, no, you cannot. But I want to look at, though, I want to take this serious, okay? And I want to, to, to see it in the fullness, because that's what we're going to look at as we get into... Um, the end of chapter 7, into chapter 8 today, I've split this a little bit. So uh, this was, we're going to do 8 and 9 today, and I said, there ain't no way this is going to happen. I didn't finish 7 last week, and I want to talk a little bit about 7. And Anyway, so anyways, this series just got a little bit longer. So, but as we look into it with the parable of the soils, then, oh, I didn't turn it on. So 2 Corinthians 6, 1, but then we have this balance then of faith and works which we see in James 2, verses 17 and 19, and then I skipped 26. But you guys know this passage. Faith without works is 
dead. Faith without works is dead. And, and, he's, and he goes in that same passage in 17 to 19, James says, he says, look, even the demons believe and they, they tremble, they fear. That's right, they tremble. And so Jesus, you know, he's going across the Sea of the Galilee. And then, you know, you have the, the, what happens at nighttime, the storm, and he stands up and he combs the sea and everything. And then they get to the, to the shores of the Gadarenes. And when they get to the shore of the Gadarenes, then they're met by this demoniac, right? Who inside him has legion, right? And, and, he, and he says, legion, because a legion is many. There were many demons in this guy, right? And this guy comes running and he falls on his, on his, on his knees before Jesus. And he says, what have we to do with thee, Jesus, thou son of God? Have you come to throw us into the pit before our time? I don't know if you ever pondered that. But that's a powerful passage. I mean, there are demons, demons, demons that are just ripping this guy into shreds. But when Jesus stands in their presence, what did they recognize? Say again. He was in control. They recognized who he was. And yet they also recognized at that very moment that they were sealed in their doom. Do you get it? They trembled. They knew who God was and they trembled. So what? So you say, oh, I know Jesus is God. Good. Does it have changed your life? Has there been any effect upon your life? If it hasn't, then he's not really the Lord of your life. I mean, you could say what you want, but there is a cause and effect. What you believe is going to change how you act. That's what we always talk about, the repent. Is there a need to change the way you think? Because how, when you change the way you think, it's going to change the way you act. And so we live in a culture. Listen, this is straight up. If you grew up in a Middle Eastern uh, culture, you more than likely will grow up what? Muslim, Islamic. If you grow up in the United States, and I know it's changing right now, but up to this moment, if you grew up in the United States, more than likely you're going to grow up a what? Christian, quote-unquote. That means nothing. Do you get it? I mean, I remember back in the 60s, the, the, excuse my, 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 my memories here with the hippie days and that kind of stuff, and the, and the people who wanted to talk about, and we're starting to go back to the retro here with, um, anyways, we won't get into politics. Anyways, about this communism and, and, and the utopia that communism was, and, and the, I, you guys that are as old as me, a little bit older, you remember, right? And you, what, you want to, what did you want to tell all those hippies who said that, that Russia had it, everything, and, and, and communism was right. Go live there. Because you're really not a what? You're really not an American. See, you got it. You're really not an American. Because an American, we understood, if you really were an American, you'd love the land, and you would think and live a certain way. And yet, somehow, we don't apply that to Christianity. We kind of think it's okay. Well, you know, my grandpa went to church. And I went with him two or three times. And boy, I remember the preacher, he was preaching all, you know, whatever. How has it changed your life? Are you following who he is? And so trials and tribulations, whether we like this or not, when when the fire gets hot, it's going to reveal what's really in the pot. Yes? And so that silver, I mean, how do they purify silver? They heat it up and they scoop off the dross and they let it cool and they heat it up again and they scoop off the dross. 
The reality is, and I think, was it David? Was you? Yeah, you did, because you talked about fruit juice. Same concept, okay? Whatever's in the sponge, when it gets squeezed, it comes out. Trials and tribulations are that in your life. They are going to reveal who you really are. They reveal who others are. And so I think of James 1 then, before James 2, right? It's James 1, that makes sense. Where he goes, stated just before he gets into this, he says, Be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who beholds himself in the mirror, beholds himself in the, in the glass. He beholds himself, goes his way, he straightway forgets what manner of man he was. But whoso looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues therein, being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. Well, who's the, who's the, who's the one who's the hearer only? That's the one he's talking about in James 2. Show me your faith without your works. I'll show you my faith by my works. Do you not know the devils believe and they shudder? Therefore, faith without works is, is dead. That's the concept where we go to in this passage as Paul is going to be, beginning in chapter 7, um, at the end of 7, that Paul is going to be dealing with the Corinthians on. And so I want to go back to a portion and blend this into, because again, this is a letter. It's not like chapter, 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 concept, 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 okay? And so starting in chapter 7, back at verse 13, so if you have your Bibles, we didn't do our Bible reading today because of the communion, okay? So please have your Bibles there, and um, we'll be reading it and looking at it as we go. And so 2 Corinthians chapter 7, beginning at verse 13, Paul writes to them, he says, Therefore, based upon all these other things that have been going on that I've been talking about, okay? Therefore... We have been comforted, parakaleo, in your comfort, parakalesis, and we rejoiced exceedingly more for the joy of Titus, because his spirit has been refreshed by you all. For if, and so this is a, literally because if, for if in anything I have boasted to him about you, I am not ashamed. But as we spoke all things to you in truth, even so our boasting to Titus was found truth. So Paul says, look, as I'm getting into this, I want you to know that I have utter confidence in you. Okay? Because I've been looking at you and I'm what? I'm seeing works. I'm seeing works. Do you, do you understand? In other words, I, I've got this confidence in you that comes not from, because I can see your heart. I can't see your heart. But what I can see is the effects of what you believe in your heart and what has changed in your life coming out. And so in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, Paul writes to the Thessalonians, and he talks about the testimony of the Thessalonians, those who were in Thessalonica, right? And he says how you turned from all these idols to serve the living and true God, and how you now wait for the coming of his Son. This is exciting stuff. He says, you know, think about it. If you lived in that day when you, you kept going to the idols and everything, right? And all of a sudden you accepted Jesus as your Savior and you brought out all your witchcraft books and all your, your junk stuff and you burnt it for the, the whole city to see that. Read the book of Acts. You'll see that that's what was happening. There was revival. There was revival happening. 
Yeah, there was viable happening. And then now we need revival, but there was viable happening, right? And so they, they were they were changing. Everything was changing. They were coming out. They were burning their stuff. And now they're starting to follow the living God. And they're talking about Jesus coming back. They're a bunch of crackpots from the perspective of everyone else, the world. Make sense? And Paul says, look, I get it. Okay, So he says to him, he says, I've been comforted by this stuff because Titus went to you and now he's come back and he's coming back telling me that all the things you're doing, which was so exciting because, you know, before I sent Titus to you, I was boasting about you. I had great confidence in you and I was boasting to him about all about you. Okay. And so it was a result of their hospitality. So now he's coming back and he says, and now Titus is telling me how you treated him. That's pretty cool. Jimmy, I, I, I'm not going to talk about it on the, on the audio, okay? But I appreciated that. It gave us as an assembly the opportunity to be able to apply what the Scripture talks about. Does that make sense? That, that's, that's huge. Think about this, y'all. Okay, I mean, this is... So you got to get inside Bob's brain for a moment. I know it's scary. Okay, I'll let you get back out in a moment. <laughs> don't, don't shake your head. Just. Anyways, and so... Uh, <laughs> When Jimmy first contacted me this morning about wanting to be able to share, I'm in the middle of my quiet time, right? And so if you were in Sunday school, you get that, that I'm trying to structure, okay? And, and Jessica and Sam are with us, and so she knows. I mean, I almost ran their kids over going down the hallway to, to, go, to seclude myself in my room so I could have my quiet time because it wasn't necessarily quiet in our house. And so, and so, so I'm, 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 I'm looking for my spot, right? And, and so... Um, and so then I get this text, you know, and so I'm like, ah, you know, I'm just really feeling like distracted and perplexed and all this kind of stuff. And, and you got to understand the, the, the very structured dunk, 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 schedule, schedule, schedule side of me is saying what? Could you at least give me a week's notice so I can prepare myself for this change? You, you know, but I gave you a good spiritual answer back then. I, I mean, I, I, Jimmy didn't know any of that, right? I'm, I'm not sure. And so. And so, but the Lord worked on me and, 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 and how that would play out. Make sense? But let's say for a moment, okay, so Jimmy, I need you to be straight up honest with me here, okay? For the sake of this whole thing, okay? Because this is a great analogy. Let's say, though, I can't do that. Stoically, I can't do that. I mean, I just, I can't change anything like that. How would you have felt if, if you came to a church and you didn't have a chance to share the struggles that you're having and the need for prayer? Just a little sad? Well, a lot sad, but then I'd be like, well, hopefully I can, you know, enjoy it for another week and share it next week. Well, yeah, but that's because when we have testimony time. Let's assume we don't have testimony time. You never get to share it. Oh, yeah, I just stay followed up. Do you, do you get what happens to, to, to believers today? There, there, there is no place to do that. Now, some churches have their small group, and if people go to them, and that, that kind of stuff, okay? But the reality is that's hospitality, Okay? That's, that's a, a, a little thing of hospitality where we receive one another, okay? And so I'm not trying to build us up, but, but I just rejoice in it. You know, as I meditate on it, as I come to this thing, I think, you know, I would have been, honestly, I wasn't thinking about this passage when we did all that, but I would be standing here right now in self-conviction if I had put him off. Do you get it? Because we wouldn't be practicing what we preach. And this is so huge. So, Paul hears from Titus. Titus comes back and, and lets him know the reception that he had. And, that, and so Paul's really excited. And he goes on, verse, um, the end part of it says, 
in his affections, verse 15, his, his affections are greater for you as he remembers the obedience of you all, how with fear and trembling you received him. Therefore I rejoice that I have confidence in you in everything. And so this is exciting stuff, okay? So he's building them up a little bit here because he's going to get ready to, to really challenge them. Going to give him a stroke across the chin here in a moment, okay? And, um, but all this has to do then with the fact, look, you guys have been going through these trials, these tribulations, and yet I send Titus to you, and Titus comes and you what? And you receive him. I'm very excited for you, okay, in, in all this. But he gets into this challenge then, and challenge and that's really where we want to get because that's the the stage for now where he gets into this this challenge in in and so again as we're talking about afflictions we're talking about trials okay and we're going to see that paul's going to use the trials and afflictions of the macedonians okay as again a foundational basis for what he's going to share but there are again i mentioned this um oh i don't know chapter three when we talked about spiritual afflictions and we're still waiting to fully see that in the next couple of weeks when we get to chapter 11 and such, okay? When we talk about the workers of, of, of the devil and stuff and how that plays out. But there are other spiritual afflictions that come upon people, okay? And one of those spiritual afflictions is, is the gift of, or the lack of the gift of, giving. I got a lot of eyes. And because some people have the gift of giving. If you got the gift of giving, and giving just comes like, like after you got saved, it's just like, whoa, give, 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 then there ain't nothing to your credit, because God's given you the gift of giving. I'm talking to you guys who don't have it. Who every time someone asks you for a penny, you're thinking, you miser, you cheat. Okay? Pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. Because we tend to have that mindset in our culture. We tend to, because of, of the transition in the, the um, abuse of the social welfare system, we tend to become very cold-hearted. But I, I, this is a little aside, but I want to just present this as the foundation of my thoughts. You need to, again, understand where I'm coming from. Do you understand that what the social welfare system really is? I mean, do you really honestly understand what it is? It's not enabling, Gerald. That's, it's not. They, 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 it becomes that. The abuse of it becomes that. What would you say? Slavery. It's not. It becomes that. See, we miss that. Because that's exactly... I'm not picking on you guys. But that's exactly where we get at. It is what the church ought to be doing within the walls of the church. And the government seeks to do that for its people. Because not everybody is a member of the church. What are we supposed to do as a church? We're supposed to be taking care of the needs of one another. If somebody's without a job, we're supposed to be able to provide for them. Now, they ought to be looking for what? For a job. And if they're not willing to work, we're told that they shouldn't what? Eat. They shouldn't eat. Okay? But we're quick on that side of it. We're quick on that side of it. Well, let them starve for a while. That'll make them really want to work. That's because we don't have the gift of giving. The gift of mercy. Those who have the gift of mercy, the gift of giving, they look at those, those individuals and they feel bad for them and they want to do things for them and they want to give. Does it make sense? That's why the body is the body. Does it make sense? Because we all come together with something. And so social welfare, the, the system the government put in place, was to take care of those. It's, it's, it's just like the church. The problem is you've got a bunch of what? Running it. Don't say politicians and don't use any kind of... They're sinners. 
Do you get it? That's why we have problems in churches. Because churches are being administrated better by what? A bunch of sinners. Hopefully, though, in true churches, they are sinners who are saved by grace, whose mind is being changed and transformed by the grace of God, right? The world doesn't have that. So what do you got? You got a bunch of selfish people trying to run a semi-unselfish thing. And so you got people at the top going to try to glean off it and everybody else. So I don't mean to make to get in that, but all I'm trying to say is that we then, we tend to see what happens in the world, right? And we begin to take on this worldly flavor of our mind, and then we, we forget it when we come into the church. And so giving, so I don't want to miss the point here. What I'm saying is here that giving and giving of yourself can be an affliction, is what I'm saying. There are spiritual disciplines that we can at first, at first see as afflictions. It's a trial and a tribulation. Don't, don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. How many of you got up early this morning so you could spend time with God? Did you spend five minutes with Him? 10 minutes with him, 15 minutes with him, a half an hour, 45 minutes. Did you spend an hour with him? For most part, I'm going to, we're, we're a conservative church who would say, everyone would say we love the Lord, but I would say that probably most of you didn't do that because it was an affliction because you'd have to get up earlier. You'd have to give up social networking. You'd have to give up reading the, the, the news of the world. It would be an affliction to you to, to do something spiritual that would just be a revelation to everybody else that you really had a relationship with Jesus Christ. And yet you want everybody else to believe you have a relationship that you don't want to spend time with them. I'm sorry. It's a real... So you got to understand, this is coming from Bob, because this is exactly what Bob gets from Jesus about Bob. When Bob's playing the, uh, the, the, the logic game. Well, you know, I stayed up late last night. Yeah, it's because you played that stupid Madden game. If you can stay up playing Madden, you can get up early and spend time with me. Does it make sense? If you're going to go hunting, Bob, you would have got up at 3 o'clock. You can't even get up at 5 o'clock and spend time with me. Do you get it? Okay? So I'm, not, I'm picking on you, but I, you understand that my, my picking on you is it's a share of the wealth card. Okay? I just picked up the share of the wealth card. I got to play it, and you get to, to share my, my, uh, my struggles. <laughs> I know. Isn't that nice, huh? I feel better about myself now. Anyways. So he goes into the chapter 8 here, and, and he starts to share this about this testimony about the Macedonians. This is powerful to me. This, this, I mean, this is only a couple of verses, but this couple of verses are so much of a challenge to me and a struggle to me. Look what it says, beginning of verse 1. Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God. So again, chapter 7, verse 1, right? But here we are in chapter 8, verse 1. Moreover, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, that in the great trial... Of affliction, we're going to talk about those words in a second. The abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. For I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing, imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift, that's actually the same word as grace, in the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And not only as we hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. Note, first of all, their situation back up there in verse 1 and 2. They were in great trial, docume, 
we're going to use, we've been talking about that word here, dokime, of affliction. That's our word, flipsis. Okay? Talking about the afflictions that we go through. Okay? So, but dokime, dokimos, okay, dokimatso, um, the word dokime then is, talks about then being tried like as an assayer. So, like, I've got a, a piece of ore, and, and it has flecks of gold in it. But I'm not saying gold like it has AU gold in it, but the color, gold. There's shiny gold stuff in it. And so, but I don't know whether it's AU, i.e., whether it's gold, or whether it's ferrous oxide. Fool's gold. So what do I do with it? I take it to the assayer. What does the assayer do? He assays it. Good. <laughs> You're using the same word. Don't do that. He tests it. How does he test it? Chemicals. All right. You're coming from my chemistry kind of guys. Um, just kind of basic stuff, right? Just kind of little stuff, just kind of little soap or whatever. No. It's acid. I mean, like, it's going to put it under a test. Make sense? And if it's real, it's going to stand up to the test. Kind of sounds like 1 Corinthians chapter 3, doesn't it? Where, where um, our works are either wood, hay, and stubble, or silver, gold, precious stones. And the fire is going to what? Test it. And whatever is wood, hay, and stubble, what's going to happen to it? It's going to get burnt up. But that which is made up of gold, silver, and precious stones, it's going to remain. Well, that's what Paul's talking about here. He says that in the great testing trial of affliction, that they have this pressing that's happening to them in this pressing of the sponge it's going to reveal whether they're really real to get it if they're not real if the if that seed was sown and they're not real what's going to happen it's going to die out it's going to scorch it's going to go away if they are real what's going to happen They're going to stand. Now, compound this now with the next statement. That in the great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy in their what? Deep poverty. Their deep poverty. This is talking about real financial poverty. Okay? They didn't have a lot of money. We're going to talk about giving. Okay? And, and they didn't have money to give. Now, I, I don't know about you, but I'm continually astounded, and we can make comments about it, and I've heard comments made about this. Okay, and I disagree with these comments. I hate these comments. When I go downtown and I see these huge churches in these poor neighborhoods, and I understand that there may be people who are wrongfully abusing them. Do you understand? Who may be taking money wrongfully. I don't know. I'm not judging hearts. But what I see is I see people who whether they fully comprehend all the fullness of the Godhead and everything else, and I'm not making a comment and a judgment one way or the other or not either, they are giving out of their poverty for the glory of God. Now, it may be misconceived, it may be misconstrued, it may be mistaken, whatever, okay? It's one thing to have the big you know, church out there with the big steeple, million-dollar steeple, that's put there by millionaires and billionaires. And they just did it out of a what? 
a little get, you know, a little tip to God. It's another thing when you see a bunch of people who live in poverty who are still giving regardless. Do you understand? And so we can, again, pick on them in our social mentalities that we receive from the world and go, oh, this is what a waste of their money. They're, like, they're, just, they're, just, they're being deceived by these people. And da, da, da. Forget that. Forget all that. If they and their mind are doing it for God, that's what you need to think about. Okay? I know. We get the health and the wealth, and they're doing it just to get rich. No, this stuff was going on before the health and wealth movement started. There are people who have nothing, and they want to give it all. That's what Jesus talked about the widow who gave her two mites. They're standing there watching it all. And he says, who gave the most? It wasn't the ones who were just kind of throwing it in. He said, they gave of, their, of, of everything they had, but she gave everything she owned. These people were living in deep poverty. Their passion, though, look at this, I bear them witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing. They implored us with much urgency. Their passion to give was just incredible. And then finally, their motivation was in verse 5, not only as we hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. Why did they give this way? Because they first gave themselves to the Lord. Romans 12, verse 1, very clear, right? I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice. They first gave themselves, and then, therefore, they gave everything else. But then we have this testing, then, that Paul's going to get into for the Corinthians, then. And he says to them, so, so, based on this, verse 6, we urge Titus that as he, be, as he had begun, so he would complete this grace in you as well, but as you abounded in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge, in all diligence, that's our word spude from the last week, and in your love for us, see that you abound in this grace also. I speak not by commandment, but I am testing, dakimatso, I'm assaying the sincerity of your love by the diligence, spude, of others. For you know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that, for, that you, through his poverty, might become rich. I loved how your, your devotional plays right into this, David. I was thinking about it as, as well as when you are teaching. Think about, he who owned everything became what? He became poor for us. He laid it aside. The example of Christ is so phenomenal in what he has done for us. So Paul says, look, I'm testing you guys, okay? I'm going to say you, and I'm going to show that the sincerity, your sincerity is going to be evidenced by your, by your diligence, just as it was through Jesus. So look at Jesus. Was he diligent? Did he play it out to the end? How was, how was the sincerity of Christ revealed? He played it out to the, the end. So his exhortation to them, then, is this final part. It seems like a long part, but it's all together, Okay. And so I know you're getting sweating when you say how many verses were left. And you're thinking, but we're really on toward the end here. It says, verse 10, in, in this I give advice. It is to your advantage not only to be doing what you began and were desiring to do a year ago, but now you must also complete the doing of it. That as there was a readiness to desire, so there may also be a completion out of what you have. For if there is first a willing mind... Um, for if there is first a willing mind, it is accepted according to what one has and not according to what one does not have. Next week, we're going to talk about, this is on the priority of giving. 
Next week, we're going to talk about principles of giving. So I'm not even talking about how we give right now, okay? It's just the priority of giving. What's the priority of giving? We've already talked about it. First, you what? You give yourself. Make sense? That's the priority of giving, okay? So we've, we've handled that. You give of yourself, okay? But today, as we look at this, though, we're looking at this, this, this trial, right? Examination of it. So he goes on, he says, he says that you need to what? Complete it. Because the completing of the task, if you would, is what? Evidence that you really wanted it. That you really desired it. And that's what he says, that you complete the thing that you said that you desired. If you really desired it, if it's really something you really desired, what are you going to do? You're going to stick it out. So I'm going to, I, I, I boasted on Andrew a little bit last week. I'm going to boast on him again. Whether it is a, a negative quality of arrogance and, and um, whatever, da-da-da-da, or whether it's a positive, I think it's a positive, tenacity. So Ben's here. He's got that from Ben, okay? And so, not from me. Anyways, no, maybe from me too. Maybe they both get it from me. But anyways, but there's this tenaciousness that I'm not going to quit on something. If I know that this is what something that's, I'm meant to do, I'm not going to quit. Come hell or high water. Makes sense? Maybe that's from my dad, probably. You know, the marine side of my dad. You know, you just, you don't quit. You don't quit. And so, especially then in the spirit, right? If you know it's something that God wants you to do, what do you do? You what? You keep marching on. It doesn't matter how much everybody throws at you. You still keep what? Marching on. I mean, until one of the bullets goes into my head or it goes into my heart and it takes me down, you got to keep what? Keep pushing, 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 pushing. Take the hill, take the hill, take the hill, take the hill, take the hill. You know, patents behind me, you know. Hit on, hit on, you know. But that's what you, you keep going. Why? Because ultimately it tests the metal of who you are. I already quoted it when we were praying over Jimmy. Philippians 1.6. He who began the what? Good work in you will what? He'll complete it. He'll complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. He who began the good work in you will continue it, and he will complete it. He will do that. Do you get it? It is he then in Philippians chapter 2. It is he who works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Now, how does this all play together? How does this play out? I want to just read a couple verses here real quick. Um, just real fast. Go with me to Hebrews chapter 3. Okay, we'll just read this one real fast. Just for time. Hebrews 3. Because this goes along with how do you know that you know that you know? That you're really saved. Right? So Hebrews chapter 3. Look at verse 6. Okay? And this is in the context. I'm, I'm ripping it out of context. You read it all. This is about Jesus being compared to Moses. Right? And it says verse 6. But Christ as son over his own house, whose house we are, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm to the... N. Drop down to verse 14. I'm going to verse, start at verse 13. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. How do you know that you know that you know? When do you know that you knew that you knew? In the end. Now, you may know that you know that you know now. But I don't know that you really know that you know. Does that make sense? Because I don't know what's in your mind, and I don't know what's in your heart. 
And I'm, that's why I, earlier, you know, when I'm, I'm kind of challenging you, it's really not just challenging you, it's challenging myself, and it's challenging everybody else who, who may listen to this later on. The reality is that we need to be challenged. Because when do we know? In the end. In the end. In the end. If you're really true, then you will play this game out, this game of life. Because you'll know that you're on the winning team. Does it make sense? I know I'm on the winning team. So I can take whatever comes my way. Now, is it pleasant? Not at all. I mean, the, the saying of the gold isn't fun. I imagine if the gold could speak, at that moment it would be saying what? Ow! Ow! Well, do you, do you, it only takes a drop. Do you, do you need to put the whole thing on me? Don't we think that way with God sometimes? <laughs> just take just a little bit this time, would you please? But that's what it takes. The refiner's fire. So, the last part is devotion is evidenced by deeds. I want you to drop down to verse 22. We'll be handling some of this other next week um, as we come back and we look at the principles of giving. But verse 22. And we have sent, we have sent with them our brother whom we have proved, Dakimatsu, diligent in many things, but now much more diligent because of the great confidence which we have in you. If anyone inquires about Titus, he is my partner, koinonos, in fellow workers, sunirgos, workers together, I don't have time to go into all that, concerning you. Or if our brethren are inquired about, they are messengers of the churches, the glory of Christ. Therefore show to them, and before the churches, the proof of your love and of our boasting on your behalf. Your devotion to God, whether it's real or not, is borne out by what you do. And I promise you that's not coming to church on Sunday. Now, that may be one thing, but I can tell you growing up that that's what I trusted in. I went to church on Sundays. It was all about me. Now, I understand. So, it may be the 5%, 10%, whatever, of, in, in the field, and maybe that's the individual who in that phase of their life, all they're doing at that moment is going to church, and that really is the revelation of their devotion to God. Make sense? And that's really okay. So I'm not here to judge. Okay? However, one would think that as the field is being tilled and, and, and prepared more and more and more, what would be happening? You would see more and more production of fruit. So, I get this, okay? I grew really fast in the Lord, so I'm not using it as, an, as, a, as a, 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 what do you call it, a measuring stick. What I'm using it as a measuring stick is, so where am I now? Do you get it? Where am I now? I ought to be further along in my walk with the Lord and producing more fruit, spiritual fruit, than I was 20 years ago. I'm not talking about you, I'm talking about Bob. And that's a struggle for Bob. That's where Bob has to go before the Lord daily, and I have to be analyzing myself before God and asking God to flay me open and to show Bob where Bob continues to need to grow and what things Bob needs to get rid of. And yes, there are times when Bob has to get rid of things because they're standing in the way of my relationship with God. It may not be evil, but it is for me at that moment because it's standing in the way of my relationship with God. And you need to analyze that. So, Titus, his devotion was evidenced by his deeds. Real quick, and then we're going to close. 
What was the primary the thing that Titus did that showed his devotion? It's not there. It's not there. You just have to think this one through. This is a logical concept. What did he do? I thought you were going to say something. He went. He went. Do you get it? He left everything. Titus had a life. Sometimes I don't think we, we, don't, we don't think beyond what we're reading at this moment. Titus had a life. He might have had a wife. He might have had kids. And he picked up everything and he went and followed Paul. It wasn't, he didn't even follow Jesus. I mean, it's one thing. We look at Peter, James, and John and, and them leaving everything to follow Jesus. Well, at least they followed Jesus. It was God. But who did they follow? He followed Paul. In order to be discipled by Paul, and now Paul's sending him out on his own to be the representative of Jesus Christ to his Corinthians. That's pretty cool. But Titus first had to be committed to himself, like the Macedonians, giving first his own life. He had to be willing to commit himself. So, afflictions, trials, tribulations, they're going to come. But when they come, they're going to reveal who you really are. And you can try to justify it, or you can try to just absorb it and say, ah, clearly, I have a place to what? To grow. I have a need. I need people to pray for me. I need to be involved in the life of other people. I need to quit looking at myself and start getting out there focusing on other people. However it is, I've got to realize that these trials and these afflictions reveal something. So, the first question, are you truly a disciple of Jesus? I mean, when the trials and tribulations come, what's squeezing out of you? You know that you know that you know, or whether you don't know. I mean, if you're doubting whether you know, then it's the time to take care of that. Behold, now today is the day of salvation, right? And so there's nothing to prevent anybody from coming to Christ. And I can tell you, Marsha, you can ask her about this, but even when we were in seminary, Satan kept, um, I think it was Satan, it might have been the Lord, I don't, who knows, that kept challenging her, okay, about whether she was really saved or not. We got saved right around the same time. But she kept wondering because she just did it, kind of did it. And she didn't have the crying my, you know, her eyes out. When I got saved... I, I was going to hell. At that moment, my heart was going to be squeezed. I was going to hell. I was crying my eyes out, rolling out of the bed, over to my papa's on chair, and just, just crying out to God, if you can save this wicked soul, I'm yours. She didn't have that. She wasn't as necessarily as impure and unrighteous and all that kind of stuff. I mean, I had, I mean, I knew there was no doubt in my mind where Bob was at and where Bob was going, okay? And so when we were in seminary, I remember the day when we got together and we sat down and we prayed together. She prayed out loud so she could kick Satan in the teeth. But then later on, after we started this church many years ago, the first person I ever baptized, most people don't know this, as, as in this church was my wife. Because then the Lord convicted her that when she had first gotten immersed was when we first got saved. But then she had asked Jesus into her heart when I was in seminary. And she wasn't, since she wasn't positive, she goes back to that moment as knowing that solidifying. And so she understood that being immersed was a matter of showing testimony to what she has done. Okay, and so she was convicted by the Lord that at that moment she needed to be baptized. So, I don't know how many people know that, but I baptized my wife. People had to make me bring her back up. No, anyways, no. Uh, I was just joking. But I, I got to baptize my wife. How cool was that? But I, she's not here, so I can brag on her. She's probably listening over there saying, oh, shut up, Bob. Anyways, but 
Do you get it? That's, that's an affliction. I can't imagine the pride of affliction at that moment. You know, you're going to admit it. You're going to tell everybody, you know, and then you're going to get baptized. Here's the pastor's wife, and you're going to get baptized in front of everybody. That's pretty cool. What evidence or proof is there in your life that you are a follower of Jesus Christ? I want you to think about it. I'm pausing because I want you to think. I don't want to just run past it. I want you to really think about that. How do you respond to trials and afflictions? Have you honestly given yourself wholeheartedly to the Lord? Is there then a need to change the way you think and therefore change the way you act? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for your goodness to us. I know that you alone are God most high. There is no other God but you. And that you have given everything for me. Lord, help me to be willing to lay all that I am on the altar. That you may alter all that I am. Lord, that I might then be used by you to invest my life in the lives of others, that you might receive the glory. And I pray that for our assembly, Lord, that you would, each one of us, Lord, that you would just challenge us and cause us to have this desire to be fully and wholly committed to you, not for our own glory, not for the glory of this assembly, but for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.